Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. Morning, everybody. This morning's scripture reading is John 4, verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Blessed are these words of scripture. Okay, happy Sabbath now for the bigger kids and for those of you uh, watching on the internet. That story that I told uh, the kids is a story that I heard many times from different people. But last night, I went to research on the internet if I could find the sources. And like I, I read like even some academic papers from non-Adventist people writing about that phenomenon of how some... Uh, uh, tribal people from in the middle of nowhere uh, discovered Jesus. And I got so amazed because like uh, the story I heard I, as, as, as I became Adventist, it's probably a watered down version from what I'm reading. And like uh, I still have a lot to reading to do. Like I'm very excited to see how God can use some uh, like he shows himself up to prepare the way for the measures to come. And uh, that brought me a little hope because uh, uh, this week I was thinking, oh, I'm going to prepare a nice PowerPoint for the message, but uh, I could not to do so. I had food poisoning. Uh, so I stayed like two days with uh, pains until the, that food was out of my system. And uh, while I was doing that, when I was getting better, I started to read that story again from different sources, and then God uh, gave me a little hope that perhaps He already sent your angel to prepare you for the message we're going to be sharing today. Uh, now, uh, let me ask a question. How many of you uh, already went to a war zone? Uh, I mean a real one, when bullets are flying, like a war... war well, the conflict was a shoe going. Anybody here? No? Well, I'm telling you, it's dreadful. I've, I've been at the edge of a battlefield. I was uh, leaving Beirut uh, when uh, Hezbollah was starting an attack. And like I was, as my flight was trying to take over, you could see like the mortars like going like over you. It was a, a dreadsome scenario. And one thing that you don't want to do on those places, and uh, what's interesting, I remember as if it was today, like the guy uh, of the union, he, as soon as I arrived, he gave me a map, like a map of Beirut, and uh, he said like, here is like the green zone. Here you can, up. you can go, you can walk, you can even be by yourself. Here is like the was not the uh, orange zone. Here, doesn't, don't go here alone, always with somebody local, because things may get messy and confused. And here's the red zone, here's the battlefield. Don't go there ever, ever, ever. So like, when you are in a place like that, when war is going on, you want to know where you where you should go or not, where it's safe and where it's not. And there was another thing, uh, like the union and the, and the board school there in, uh, in Lebanon, it's on the height of a little hilltop, it's not, it's not really a mountain, it's like just a, uh, a hill, and like a, to the right of the hill, it's like a, was a neutral zone. The other side was Hezbollah territory. So like, a, and right on the base of the hill, there was a little minefield. Uh, so like people could not cross from the church's land, the church owned the whole place, to that enemy territory. Although people tried, I mean, Foreigners that didn't know any better, 
and didn't know how to read the signs uh, because on the past the signs were like just in Arabic and uh, but now those days the school put like signs in, uh, in English so you don't want to cross a minefield uh, by yourself because you don't know where you're gonna lay your foot if it's like solid ground or something that's gonna explode uh, under your feet and sometimes that's exactly how we act in our life we live in a great controversy we live on that uh, battle for our minds between Satan and God and Satan plays dirty he lays a lot of mind, minds on our way our life is a minefield so how God uh, wants us to live them. The message today and the last message next week, they're going to complement each other and they will be like a, a roadmap of sorts of how we can walk on that minefield that's our life here on the 21st century. As we try to represent God, as we try to be His spokespersons in those last days, how should I live? How should we do? And that will be the theme of the sermon today. So before we open our Bibles, let's uh, bow our heads and pray once more and invite the Holy Spirit to be your guide. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for another day in our lives. In a world that's full of uh, disasters, full of pain and sickness, the even... Uh, the fact that we are even breathing and our hearts are pumping is, is a blessing. We cannot take it, it for granted. So we thank you for that. But we thank you as well because you didn't allow us, you didn't leave us here by yourselves. You are with us. Your Bible promises that we are with us until the end. So help us to see you and help us to walk alongside with you to safety. As we, today, and in my next sermon, as we open the Bible to see the ways that you prepare for us to live like you, as we study the path that you prepared for us, help us to be guided by your Spirit and help us to understand uh, what you really want us to hear today. I ask you, dear Lord, uh, pour your Holy Spirit over each one of us and may the same Spirit that uh, inspired the biblical authors may this very Spirit give us uh, wisdom and enlighten our minds so we can understand what we are hearing and what we are reading through Scripture bless us now uh, as we open the Bible and bless me as I share your word, may I talk only what you want me to talk. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. The biblical reading of this morning is from John chapter 4, verse 3. Verse 23, sorry. And uh, it says... Before I read it again, let me just give you a little context. Jesus was uh, getting out off of his way. He was out of uh, Judea. He was in Samaria. That was basically nobody's land if you were a Jew. People there didn't live a life that was uh, really at least uh, in accordance with uh, the mainstream Judaism of the day. And there was a big beef between the two, the two parties. And he finds he, there, he went down that place just to talk with one woman. He finds that woman. And on the midst of his dialogue, he says something. That's where I want to start my sermon from. He says in verse 23, But the hour is coming, and it's now, when true worshipers, we worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking 
such to worship him. Let me ask you one thing. We've been studying about the uh, cosmic conflict, the great controversy paradigm, paradigm for few sermons, for about four sermons. What this conflict is all about? It's about power, it's about what? Good and evil, okay. But what's like being disputed on that conflict? Character of God, exactly. The character of God. And uh, in this conflict, what seems that the devil wants most? Say? To be like God. And uh, he certainly will never be like God in his power and his mighty. But what he wants to get in return. We see this a lot in the scripture. He wants the glory. Or if you fast forward like to Ezekiel 28. He wanted to be worshipped. Or Isaiah 14. I'm going to go uh, above the stars of the Most High and I will be worshipped like him. Or if you go to Revelation 13. Worship is the basis. Uh, is the main weapon that he has in uh, that great controversy. And uh, worship is also our main weapon. If you remember the Thanksgiving uh, sermon that I preached uh, last year. Worship is the highest weapon that we have on that great controversy. But worship is more than what I do. Worship is more than like be singing or preaching a sermon even or even come to church. If you want to worship God, you have to do in the way Jesus is saying here. Uh, and he's saying to worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, the word spirit here means uh, your whole being. It's like it's something that you do with your whole being. It's not only an action. It's a description of who you are. We either live a worshipful, worshipful life. And then thus we worship God and we praise God in everything we do. Or we don't. There is no two ways about it. That's why he says we have to live uh, a life. I mean we have to worship God with uh, uh, spirit and truth. But how can we live like that? How we can praise God in everything we do? There is a concept on the scripture uh, that God wants to be in a sort of a special arrangement with us. And that special arrangement is uh, instructive of how should we live. I want to invite you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13. While you open, just give you a little context. That's when Moses is uh, retelling the people what happened when God gave them the law, when God gave them the Ten Commandments. So he's telling, that's how it went down. And before giving the law in itself, God says something very special that Moses repeats here. So, uh, let's read Deuteronomy 4, verse 13. And I read from the New King James and says, So, he declared to you his covenant with uh, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments and we wrote and two tablets of stone. When you hear these words, Ten Commandments, what comes to your mind? Law of God, rules, something that you have to obey. My father was a little bit of a disciplinarian. So when I hear about commandments, about orders, I Im immediately think in a whip, or in his case, a belt. Uh, because if you disobey, you get it. That's the idea that we take uh, when we hear like the Ten Commandments. 
But here, it's something different. Uh, he says that those Ten Commandments and everything else that was given on Sinai, they were not like uh, laws on that sense. They were not like that whip thing that you have to obey or else. How do this? How do they say? Read again the very beginning of verse 13. So he declared to you his what? Covenant. What's a covenant? It's a promise. Good. What? Give me another synonym of a covenant. Agreement. A contract. Uh, by the way, that's why we call uh, the, uh, the two halves of the Bible Old Testament and New Testament. Because Testament, at least way back when, today Testament is something that uh, you write planning, you see, like your will. But back 100, 200 years ago when that was translated to English, a Testament was just like a, a, a binding agreement between two parties, a covenant. So, in other words, our Bibles are as well a big covenant, like the old and the new, because they all tell the story of how God wants to live in a relationship with you. Uh, like the most people, when they think in covenants, they think in uh, what Moses was doing here, because that was the most famous co covenant in the Bible. But we have covenants going through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Why? Because God is a covenantal God. He, he wants to live on that relationship. When he created Adam and Eve, there was already uh, a, a covenant uh, going on there. Although we don't hear the word covenant in the Bible until the narrative of the flood, when we hear it, we hear God saying, uh, I'm going to make a covenant with you. That's how most Bible says. But a, a better translation is, I'm going to renew my covenant with you. Why renew? Because it assumes there was already a covenant written elsewhere. And uh, where is this covenant written? In our hearts, okay. But the book of Genesis, the first two chapters, they are a covenant in itself. If you go uh, and look into your Bibles on the book of Amos, we're going to see something very interesting. So, open your Bibles in the book of Hosea 6, verse 7. So, what did it say? As Adam... They have broken the covenant and they were unfaithful to me there. Talking about the fall of Adam and Eve. They broke the covenant that was already existent. They broke that original agreement that God had planned for humanity. And from that point on, from Genesis 3 on, we see God again and again and again renewing this covenant with people. They make the covenant. They say, we're going to do it. They don't. And God again and again throughout the biblical history comes and renews this. But uh, when talks about covenant, there's one passage on the Bible that kind of gives us the right perspective of what a covenant is. And that passage is the, bo is the book of Jeremiah chapter 31. So, let's open in Jeremiah. Thirty-one. Say Amen when we find it. So, uh, follow me as I read uh, verse thirty-one. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel uh, and with the house of Judah. 
God is saying that he's going to make something totally new. And uh, let's keep reading. Not according to the covenant I made with your fathers. And his, in the day I took them by the hand and led them out the land of Egypt. My covenant with they broke. I was the husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that you make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So he's talking about God's intentions on doing covenants in general. But he's talking about one covenant in the speci special. That's that covenant on Sinai. And how do they say, like, you guys betrayed me. You guys were unfaithful. And I was what? For you? I was like a husband for you. So a covenant, what is this? It's a marriage agreement, basically. In, in God's mind, the covenant he wants with you and me is like a marriage agreement. We may be married, for those of, of you that are, with your spouses. But each one of us is also married, is bound by a similar covenant to God. And, um, and that's a good thing. Let, let me ask you, uh, for those that are, are married, do you want your marriage to last 10 years? No? Less? More, right? You want it to last forever. I want mine to last forever. And that's the intention. And that's not coincidence that God, throughout Scripture, He uses the uh, marriage covenant as a paradigm of His relationship with us. So now, let's go to Exodus 20. Uh, to the, a passage that's very familiar to us as Seventh-day Adventists, the Ten Commandments. Uh, some of us even know by heart. And uh, let's look on this, on that paradigm. God wants this to, to be like the blueprint for our relationship with Him. So we can walk safe on this minefield that's the world we live today. But let's look not as a legalistic document that you have to do or else, but as a marriage uh, document. Uh, so let's go and read Exodus uh, 20 verses 1 and 2. What it says there. And God spoke all those words saying, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So, let's stop here. What that verse is saying to us. Who God is. What he's doing for us. What he did for Israel, and in a way he does for us even today. He's saving us from our bondage. In, uh, in the case of Israel, was both in a literal sense, they were slaves, but also in a spiritual sense, they're slavery of sin. And that's what he still do for us today. So he's not bringing you out of one slavery to a different slavery. He's bringing you to a love relationship with him. So you know that I'm not making it up. Let's read the first commandment, what it says. Verse uh, 3. You shall have no other gods before me. What he's really saying. He is, has to be our number one or top one priority. Uh, I can ask anybody here, any husband or wife. Do you want your spouse to have another person in their life? I want to see the hands. Nobody? So, 
Why? Because you love the other one so much that, and you are in a, in a marriage covenant with each other. You should not have anything or anybody that goes in between the two of you. And that's the same thing with God. And like uh, I could go each one of the commandments, but I won't because of time. Uh, so let's uh, uh, just fast forward to another one. And then I stop there. Let's, let's re uh, read uh, verse 4. That's the third commandment. Because that's another one that's easy to see. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that's the image of the heaven above or that is the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children to the children of the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those that love me and keep my commandments. So, what you see here that is similar to marriage. Let's take a look on, especially here in verse... Uh, uh, five. God he says he's jealous. Like he doesn't like you fl flirting with other people. Like uh, I don't like my wife uh, flirting with anybody. And I even don't like anybody flirting with her. Like the other day, uh, that was six months ago or so, she, she said like, Mario, something happened that never happened to me. Like the cashier on a mayor. Like he was hitting on me. My, my deepest like, desire was like, okay, show me that cashier. Let, let me have a talk. <laughs> uh, but I knew better, so I had to pray, pray out. But like that infuriated me. Who this guy think he is? Like she's taken. And that's how God sees you. You're so special to him. That he doesn't want you to fooling with anybody and not anybody fooling with you. He's a jealous God. But there is more. It shows here that he shows mercy for those who love him. Do you know what that love word is? The word love here is the word hesed. In Hebrew, it means a special kind of love. Is a love so intimate that's like uh, it's uh, the book of Isaiah, I think chapter 40 something, uses that word many times and he makes a, a description of that word. Uh, like that, the word has said in uh, Hebrew comes from the word for womb because it describes the love that's like. The biggest love that the biblical authors could imagine, that's the love for a mother for its child. But it's also a word that's used by God of the love for his people in his covenant. In a, the, the love that we showed few for our wives, that love that wants to protect her and shield her for anything, and that the wife showed few for their husbands. But there's something here that I want to highlight, and that's the the, the real meat of the sermon today. But before I go there, I want to just to share another uh, thing that has to do with this one here. That's a text that's also uh, very well known to Adventists. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter uh, 17. Actually, let's use a 12, 17 instead of chapter 17. Uh, so it says, talking about us. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. That's the church. And he went to make war with the rest of their offspring. 
who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of uh, Jesus Christ. What is uh, how we typically understand this? And uh, we typically understand the commandment. The commandments are easy. We, we usually think oh, the. Uh, on the tablets of stone. But what's the, uh, the testimony of Jesus? What's that testimony of Jesus? Another word for testimony? It's covenant. It's his promises to us to keep their faithfulness to us. So, two things will characterize the people that will be living on the last days. They will obey the commandments of God. They will keep the, what's on those tablets of stone. But they also, they're going to keep the testimony of Jesus. Uh, look that they don't, the Bible don't say that they have the testimony of Jesus. The Bible says that they keep it. At least that's the most translations, how they translate the verb. Some, I, I recognize that some still say have. But that's an important distinction is because uh, what you have is yours. What you keep, you're keeping for somebody. You're keeping that covenant, that uh, testimony of Jesus for him in his behalf. You're living like him. And that's what God intended our long. So now, let's go to back to Exodus 20. Let me ask you one thing. For those that, of you that were married before. Uh, when you, on your wedding day, the pastor did the, the preaching. Uh, what most couples do after the sermon is over and before the pastor says, now, now you're... Uh, husband and wife, and you may keep the bride. You may kiss the bride. What do you guys normally do? Vows. You exchange your vows. And what are vows? Promises. And that's exactly what the Ten Commandments are. That whole chapter 20, we see God vowing from verses uh, 1 to uh, verse 17 and then we have from verses 18 to 21 the people that are the bride saying we're gonna do it we vow we're gonna obey 10 minutes later they were on, like on the golden calf but you get the picture uh, they were unfaithful but God is faithful and uh he makes promises. There is something else that I want to highlight. I already mentioned this on, the, on a sermon before. Uh, that uh, on uh, Exodus 20 verse 1 we say. Uh, and God spoke out those words saying. The word translated here as words. Actually could be better translated as promises. Uh, I will not spend so much time on this this time because last time I preached about that. I went into detail of how that is. If you want, uh, if you're not here before, you can go over to a sermon last year uh, that was called like uh, righteousness for dummies. So you can uh, find that sermon and get all the details of the grammar of the uh, Hebrew and whatnot. But the word here. Is that God made all of those here, those ten commandments, they are not really commandments. They are promises that God made. Like throughout the Bible, we can't find any place on the scripture that uh, calls those two tablets of stones the Ten Commandments. What we call what we see many times uh, uh, Throughout scripture is called then the ten words. There is some Bibles, especially the, the old King James, not the new one. The new one, I think they fixed the translation. 
that in uh, three passages of the Old Testament, they translate the Hebrew equivalent for uh, ten words or ten promises. They translate as ten commandments because it's just an interpretation, like a paraphrase. But uh, it's not by coincidence, and I went in all those details on my sermon before, that uh, the, up to the third century of the Christian era, people called, both Jews and uh, Christians, they would call that part of the Bible, not the Ten Commandments. They would call by the Greek name Decalogue. Deca, ten. Log from Logos, from Word. The Ten Words, the Ten uh, Promises. Because they really contain Ten Promises of God. And uh, each one of the commandments, it's written in a way uh, that can be read as a commandment. That's why most people think it is when they miss that context. But can also be uh, written as a promise. Like uh, in English, as in Hebrew, when you make an order and you make a promise, you basically flex the words in the same way. Like if I say uh, to Tony, Tony, you shall not get hunger depending how I the only for Tony to know if I'm promising him or if I'm ordering him it's more the tone of my voice if I say Tony you show not get go hungry then Tony has to eat all the time because he cannot go hungry or else that's a command but I can speak on the same way in English just with a different tone of voice and that can be a promise Tony, you shall not go hungry. So now is a promise instead of a command. Hebrew has the same thing. And that's how the ten uh, promises were written. So what I want to do on the next 20 minutes or so. I want to go over each one of those promises. Because they evince something that for me is special. Uh, Those promises, they are what it takes for you to get in heaven, for you to be saved, for you to go safe on this earth. If you go, for example, keep your finger on uh, Exodus 20, but just for the sake of illustration, let's go to the book of Psalms. Go to Psalm 15. Psalm 15, he starts, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? So what's this question? Who is going to be saved? Tell me who they saved are. And then how it comes from the, from the next uh, four verses. He who walks uprightly. Who works in righteousness. Who speaks the truth of his heart. Who does not backbite with his tongue. Nor e- does evil to his neighbor. Nor, and, and he keeps going on and on and on for four verses. And if you count, he gives you ten characters. Ten things that you should have. Each one of those ten things is behind one of the ten commandments. One of the ten promises. If you go to another, like if you want Jesus. If you go to the beginning of chapter 5. The beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, what you have there? The Beatitudes. Again, if you read the Beatitudes calmly, you see 10 things that he's saying that are a blessing if you have it. If you go to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, you find about the fruits of spirit. That's something that God will do for you. He's saying, I'm going to do this for you. And, uh, but there's one, one strangeness on this text. There's uh, nine fruits of the spirit. Do you ever stop to count it? There's nine. So, out of those nine characteristics that he's saying you're going to get, they are also 
can be mapped to each one of the Ten Commandments. But there is one missing. And uh, it's missing as a promise. Because God cannot give you. And I'm, and, and I'm uh, hurrying today because I said this already on that past sermon. So uh, that's why I'm not reading all the passages. Because I want to finish in time. Uh, but there's one missing. If you go to Isaiah 58 verses 13 and 14. He's talking about the Sabbath. And he says what's the principle behind the Sabbath. And he says with three different ways. That if you avoid to do your own bidding. The things that you like. Your, take care of your own business. Or your own interests. So. But do my will in my holy day. So what's this principle behind? That on the Sabbath. It's not for you. It's for you to submit to God entirely. And not only on the Sabbath, because this, the commandment says like that also. Six days you're going to work. So when you work and take care of your own interests on the six days, you are also submitting to God under those uh, six days. So the fourth commandment means uh, you're putting your life under God's control. And why God cannot give that to you? Your choice. Your free will. That's the whole point of the great controversy. Creatures have free will and they can choose love or not to love God. But if they choose to live for God, what happens? So let's read real quick Galatians 5. Verses 22 on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. But now, verse 24, here is the catch where the fourth commandment shows up. And for those who are in Christ, who have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, if we live on the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Do you see what God is saying here? If you, if you surrender your life to God, if you kill the self, if you surrender your passions to Him, then you, if you walk on the Spirit, I mean, if you live in the Spirit, then you're going to walk on the Spirit. And then you're going to receive all the other nine. Because uh, God's ideal for us is to live His character. Is to, is to live like Him. But that's something that we cannot do by ourselves. And here's where most Christians fail on their Christian walk. They try to do all the homework by themselves. They try to be good. They try not to lie. They try to have only God. They try to do everything. And they try to live to manufacture each one of those fruits by themselves. But the Bible is saying you can't. The only thing we have to do in order to be victorious is to surrender our life to God. And if we surrender our life to Him, He will do all the rest in our lives. That's why He wrote the commandments in the way He wrote. And uh, on the last uh, 10 or 15 minutes, I want to go one by one just to highlight a few things you probably never thought before about those that will help you in uh, your Christian walk. So, let's go back to Exodus 20. And like uh, the Decalogue, it has to do the, with God's promises, His marriage vows to you as you start your Christian walk with Him. He basically said, He gets, uh, metaphorically speaking, on the altar with you and says, like, I promise you this. Like, if you allow me to be your God, you shall not have other gods before me. If you allow me to be your God, you shall not make yourself a carved image of any likeness. If you, shall, if you allow me to be your God, you shall not take the name of our Lord in vain. That's the way that we should read it. Each one of those commandments is a promise that God will give us uh, if we choose to have our life like His life. 
the only commandment that's actually write, written as a commandment is the fourth. Because we need to remember the Sabbath. We need to remember that principle of surrendering our life to him. And we need to agree with him. That's something that he cannot give to us. Obedience is part of his character. And God and Jesus demonstrate this on his life here on earth. But he cannot give us obedience. He can give us strength. He can give us all sorts of things. But we have to decide to love him above all things. As we should love our wives or husbands above everything else. And, uh, but although those uh, ten words, they are promises to us. They have implications of how we deal with others. So, the first commandment. I am the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of, of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Do you, can you see what the principle behind this? What he's talking here about? He's talking here uh, about one of the fruits of spirit. That's faithfulness. But it's not my faithfulness. Because I can't be faithful. I cannot be faithful to my wife. I cannot be faithful even to myself. If God doesn't grant me that faithfulness. Faithfulness is a gift from him. But uh, when I decide to sur surrender my life to him. I trust in God's faithfulness. To realize what he's promising in my life. So I'm going to. That enables me to put him first. And, uh, and uh, that fills me of trust that he's going to take care of me, even in bad situations. I don't need to be rude with people. I don't need to be vengeful. I don't need to be belligerent with other people. Because I know that my heavenly husband, he's faithful and he will take care of me. So, when we understand properly the first commandment, it changes the way we relate with others as well. The second commandment, what it says, you shall not make for you any carved image, no idols. Nothing should get between ourselves and, uh, and God. And what's the principle behind it? Like if you, if you read Gal Galatians 5, uh, 22 again, you're going to see that one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And that's what relates with that second commandment. Why? Because when we realize that God, and only God, is the source of our joy, He's everything that we need, our life changes. That's why uh, David wrote Psalm 23. That was what in his uh, heart when he wrote it. And he starts with a, a phrase that we all know by heart. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? A better translation would be, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't need anything else. Why? Because if I realize that God is the source of my joy, He's everything that I want. Like that the joy that I have in my marriage is just a reflection of the joy that I get from Him. The joy that I have with food or whatever your, your thing is. It's just a pale reflection of what you can get from him. He becomes your only desire. He becomes uh, the only thing uh, that you need. And the only example that you need to follow as you deal with other people. Let's go to the third one. What the third one is about. Come on Adventists. Help me. What the third one is about. It says. You shall not take the name of the Lord. God, your God in vain. But what that. Thing. Is. The name. Is the character. The name is a. In the Hebrew culture. And even in Middle Western culture today. The name. 
is the character, is the description of who you are. Uh, like, it's not only the, na the name how people call you, but it's also a word for character. So, what means to not take the, God's name in vain? When uh, you got baptized, you got the privilege to call yourself Christians, right? Is everybody here a Christian? Can I agree with that? What that means? That you out there, you are representing Jesus. Uh, I believe I share with you a story that like, uh, uh, I used to be like a pretty spicy, spicy uh, young man. Like, uh, was not easy. I guess if I was brought up those days, I would be rightly diagnosed with ADHD because I was one of those that non-stop people uh, like a... And uh, one day, I got in a fight on the school and, and I, brought, I, bro I broke this guy's uh, school. Like uh, my father was called. That day I thought I would die because the expression of his face, like he was like uh, mad. If I ever saw my dad mad was on that day. And he, we went to his bedroom, he locked the door. We sat by his bed as usual. I was just waiting for the punishment to come and he started to talk with me. But what he spoke to me was so hurtful that I almost uh, said to him like, whip me already, stop this. But uh, he said something that I never forget. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, my name is the same name of my granddad, he's dead. And he said like, when you go out there, people don't only see you, they see your granddad, get your granddaddy, and they see me, you bear the name of our family. So, whatever you do out there has impact on us. You're representing us. And that's the same for you. We carry the name of the Lord, but we, when you don't leave us Christians, when we don't leave us Jesus, we are taking his name in vain. People in this generation, they are asking, where is God in all that? And that very question is a testament for our failure as Christians because they should be seeing God through us. But since we don't emulate his character, since he, we are disrespecting his name, we are not there. But what this promise is all about? Uh, when God promised that we will not take his name in vain, is that he if we allow ourselves to be crucified on the cross with Jesus, he will take us by the hand. And little by little, he will transform our character to be more and more like his. And, uh, he, and that's captured on uh, Galatians by the word peace. The word peace in Greek is pretty much like the word peace here today. But remember, Paul was talking as a Hebrew man. And peace in Hebrew is shalom. Shalom means everything that is good that emanates from God. That he's going to put on us. If we allow him to be the first and the last on our life. So, let's go to the fourth commandment. That's easy. You guys know by heart. And I already told you what that commandment has to do. Is with submission. I have to submit myself to, to, to the Lord. Not only on the Sabbath. But all week long. As I prepare for the Sabbath. As I try to live a life that uh, honors Him. And uh, that uh, tells me. That like uh, when I keep the Sabbath. I, that's just an external token. Of my internal surrender to Him. That's why in a. Uh, uh, Isaiah 58, God is so, so disgusted with the Jews of the time. He says, I don't, 
I can't take your Sabbaths any longer. I can't take your prayers. Because it's just outward observance. They were not dedicating their lives to God. And that's a powerful reminder. That church membership. Don't save anybody. If you are not fully committed to God. You neither will receive those promises here in this life. But you also will not have a tomorrow. So. Uh, sixth commandment. I mean fifth commandment. What that's about? That's the one that the parents like more, right? What it says? Can anybody read for me? Can anybody remind me? Honor your father and mother. And uh, what that is all about? God wants me to be, uh, to have gentleness. The same fruit of the spirit that he wants to give me. That and that gentleness is like the moral integrity, the goodness of character, uh, and respect with those in authority over me. Uh, in order to be respected in life and to have a plentiful life as he promises here. The sixth one. Uh, that's an easy one. It says, uh, you shall not murder what is this all about? He's talking here about love. If, uh, if we could rephrase this in a positive way, God probably would say, you shall love. Because when you love, you don't murder anybody. And uh, God here is saying that if you surrender your life to him, he will give you not your common human love. He will give you his love. And that you can demonstrate. By forwarding that love. To others. As you deal with people on your daily basis. The seventh commandment. Uh, what's the seventh commandment is all about? On the face value you see here. You shall not commit adultery. What it boils to? God wants you to demonstrate. The same patience. Patience that you cannot have by yourself. Is a gift from God. It's one of the fruits of his spirit. The same long suffering character that he has. And uh, in all your relationships in life. Starting on the most intimate ones. That's the relationship between husband and wife. So let's go to the eighth. The eighth principle of the Decalogue. Here we read at face value. You shall not steal. But what's being talked here? God is talking about self-control. He will give you the self-control. To restrain yourself. And not taking not take what's not yours. We cannot have that self-restraint. By ourselves. We may. Sometimes we may never do the act. But we're going to keep fantasizing in our, in our mind. And that's already bad enough. But if we surrender to God. He can give us that self-control that he himself demonstrated in his life. And uh, so that will allow me to live a more Christ-like life. So let's go to number nine. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I heard many people saying that that's about lying. That's not about lying. God's not saying here don't lie. Not that you should lie. Please don't quote me. Pastor Matthew said we can, we can lie. I didn't say that. But I just said that that's not what the commandment says. The commandment says I should not give false witness. I can give a false witness by just speaking the truth. The other day I saw a commercial that like uh, made me realize this in a very interesting way. He was talking about a guy that he took his uh, country in the verge of bankruptcy. He promoted arts. He helped the health system. He, he made a very good welfare system. He made his country to be one of the top nations on this time. And like He was a lover of arts. He promoted all sorts of good things. And after like two minutes of like singing this praise of this guy, like, man, I want to go to this country. Who is this guy? Adolf Hitler. 
He did all that. That was all true. But that was a misrepresentation, a false witness of who he was, who really was. And we can do the same sometimes. And uh, what then is the principle underneath this? God is saying that we have to be, we have to be good. The goodness that he will give us, that that's uprightness of heart and life to represent him and everybody else in the proper light and uh, to never gossip, to never talk falsely ab about others because we want to receive and emulate God's character. Then the 10th principle. Uh, it says, you shall not covet. What that principle teach me? He teach me how to be meek, how to be content in what I have since uh, God already gave me plenty and he promised that he gives me everything that I need. And by doing so, I can live in any situation. That's what enabled the Apostle Paul to say like, I was, I live richly, I, but I live as a poor as well. I was free, but I was thrown in jail. I received how many whips and what, whatever. Because he uh, learned through God to live in meekness. And if uh, I wish I had another hour, because I want to show you, but that will be for later, on a later date, how each one of them, they tie together in each other. And now it starts with the first one. And what the first one says? That uh, God is the only God. His faithfulness. If I, don't, if I don't believe in his faithfulness, all his promises are meaningless to me. Then the second one builds on top of the first one. If I understand that God is faithful, that he is good for his promises, that what he says goes, then he can be the source of my joy because everything I need, I know I'm going to get from him. And it's a chain that if you get one by one by one by one, and in no time you understand that you live the best deal that you can do is to live a life that's fully dedicated to God. And I hope this morning, as I close this sermon, that uh, you say yes. What I mean, you say yes. God is inviting us to live in a loving relationship with Him. To, to be His spouse. And He made all those promises. And He waiting for you to Say, yes, I do. And as you do that, as you surrender your life to him, knowing that he's everything that you need, then you can rest assured that little by little, day by day, he will complement everything else you need as he gives the fruits of spirit on your life and everything else that you need to live a happier life. So let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be in a covenant relationship with you. And as we live this life, as we understand that you are faithful and that you are the source of our joy, that you are everything we need, and more than that, that if we submit our lives to you, you're going to give to us your character day by day in a process that will take maybe a lifetime we will only be completed on the second coming but let's start that process today we want dear Lord to receive your blessings we want to claim the promises of a new character of a new life we want to receive the promises of the fruits of your spirit but we only can do that if we crucify the self at the foot of Calvary. Help us, dear Lord, to do that. We don't have desire for our own volition to do so. But we ask you, dear Lord, through your Holy Spirit, help us to surrender to you now so we can uh, allow your spirit to transform day by day. I surrender, dear Lord, my life to you as I surrender all of those that are here today 
and all of those that are watching us through the internet. May your spirit speak with them powerfully and allow them to enter once and for all in a covenant relationship with you, allowing you to guide them step by step, surrendering their life to you, allowing you to be the first and the last on their lives so you can give them not only the fruits of the spirit, but everything that they need to live in this life and more especially to live eternally with you after your second coming. Bless each one of us here. Bless each family he represented and help us to be full of your spirit. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.